there will never be a now like now. No pun intended. This nanosecond, this is all we have. This is all we've ever had. We have the moment that we live in. We don't have the past. The past is a memory. You can't undo the past. I mean, you can undo the past to a limited degree, but it's an incredible amount of work to try to re-engineer things that you messed up to begin with. So, but really, the only time that you and I need to be of heightened concern about, and I, I mean this with every cell in my being, is this present moment now. This is what God has given us, because what we do now inevitably determines the future, your future, your family's future, your children's future, and the nation's future. So now is what God has given us. So what we do now, whether or not we're faithful to the Lord or unfaithful to the Lord, whether we are trying to build a world that's worth living in uh, regarding our children, grandchildren, our spouses, or whatever, and including the people of America, and then, of course, the entire world. That all happens now. You see, your decision, my decision, whether or not to goof off, to zone out, to fall asleep, you know, to vacate our minds and relocate into zombie land, that's always made in the now. So you talk to people. I talk to people. I interact with people. I listen to what people say as they talk to other people. And it's like an invisible chain reaction. And what I hear uh, bothers me and concerns me a great deal, especially in those people who live in the framework of they claim to be you know, Christians. <clears throat> and the tragic, mistaken, backwards thinking, upside-down thinking, uh, paranoia, the willingness to chuck your mind out the window, literally, and, and bet your whole life. Listen to me, please. I'm not, I'm not condescending when I say listen to me, please. And please understand that. That's my, forgive me, that's my exuberance. That's my passion coming out. It's not intended to be, you know, I'm not claiming to be Moses speaking up from the mountain. That's not my intention. So I hope I clarified that. But I'm very concerned. Because what is happening now, if it continues on happening now as it is, I can promise you, after over 45 years of research, I can promise you that inevitably, the future that we are all complicit in bringing about is not going to be a future which births the American dream. Please mark my words. It's not going to bring about the American dream. What we're doing now, what we're thinking now, what we're conceiving now is going to bring about an American nightmare. And I don't have, I do have the words to articulate what this American nightmare will look like and feel like, etc. But I struggle with how to frame the words in such a way that when I communicate it to you, or you communicate it to people you know, I struggle to, I agonize to frame my words in such a way that the people hearing the words will actually be awakened, that, that the words would function like the seed of God's word, and that it would 
bring them into a state of awakeness, as in the term, a biblical great awakening. Because unless we have that awakening, if we continue on on the present course, based on the facts of history, based on the collective projections of secular analysts and those smaller percentage of faithful Christian analysts, based on those mutual projections, we are moving at high speed into a future that you did not design, I did not, did not design, nor did we want it, nor did we ever vote for it. In fact, if you really want to dig deep, the future that was designed for us was done so in an illegal manner. It was done through criminal actions, the breaking of laws, and various illegalities, because it was a criminal intent which created the future that we're moving towards. Now, I know that's a lot of stuff to put in a lot of people's plates, but it has to be done. It has to be done, because unless we take the moment now, the nanosecond now that God has given us, and unless we are faithful to the maximum in terms of utilizing whatever energy, whatever gifting, whatever resources, whatever intelligence, whatever it is that God has given each one of us. And by the way, we all know that God has given... I don't care what your status in life is. I'm so tired of people making excuses. I don't care what your status in life is. But the reality is, is that God has given all of us, you and me and everybody we know, God has given all of us a particular measure, a particular percentage of gifting, of resources, of intelligence, of favor, of action. God has given all of us certain talents, and I don't use that word talents carelessly. I'm taking that term from the biblical teaching of the manager uh, who who represents Jesus Christ in the Bible, and he goes away on a business trip. And so before the manager goes away on the business trip, he divides portions and percentages of his wealth and his resources. He divides them among <clears throat> all the people that work for him, his representatives. And then he, he sternly warns them. And he, he clearly tells them that he's going away for a certain period of time. And when he returns, he expects that every single one of his employees, that he has distributed wealth and intelligence and wisdom and gifting, etc., to, he tells them that he expects them, when he returns, not to have accumulated the same amount of money, talent, and ability that he gave to them when he first left. He tells them that it is his expectation that there would be, in the lives of every single one of his employees, that there would be a significant and exponential growth and multiplication of the resources, the money, the talent, and the abilities that he distributed among them. And so that brings us into 
an alignment and an understanding that should be crystal clear in each one of our hearts and minds. And that understanding is this, the same God, the only true God, the Supreme Being, the Creator with a capital C, Jesus Christ, who's King of Kings and Lord of Lords, it is He that is the manager or the owner of this business in this parable and Bible. And it is Jesus who is going away for a certain period of time. And prior to his going away, he distributes his wealth, talents, abilities, <clears throat> intelligence. He distributes them among his different employees. And he speaks to each one of his employees <clears throat> and tells them he expects them to multiply and to increase the wealth that he has given them. So what what the manager who represents God is, is really doing is if you go back to the book of Genesis and you read the account prior to the fall of mankind by Adam and Eve, God says repeatedly to Adam and Eve and to all of his creation, he says over and over again, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Both of those are terms which represent people, in this case Adam and Eve, being given a certain amount of resources by God. And God <clears throat> then says, I am giving you the assignment to rule and reign over planet Earth. I'm going away for a particular period of time. He introduces that truth later. But in the meantime, he tells them, his primary mandate to them is that they are to be fruitful and multiply. And so when he returns, it would be a grave sin on their part if they did not multiply the resources they were given. It would be a grave sin on their part if they, did, they were not fruitful uh, in what they have been given. This is a law of the kingdom of God. This is a primary law in God's created world and universe. And you and I, in our lives down here on earth right now, prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ, we are responsible to faithful, faithfully execute those commandments. We are to be fruitful. We are to multiply whatever it is God has given us until the Lord returns. And so this theme, this truth, is reiterated. It's repeated again because <clears throat> Adam and Eve disobeyed God. The fall of man occurred. Then a little bit later, <clears throat> God um, gives man free choice, and man decides to be wicked, and that wickedness and evilness multiplies, and then on top of that, mankind uh, seriously violates the law of God, so that women are actually engaging in physical relations with fallen angels, <clears throat> which is a violation of God's word. And the fallen angels, when they mate with human women, produce, in God's eyes, an illegal hybrid race, which is no longer a race of human beings. It now has become a hybrid race, which is a genetic coding mixture or a DNA code mixture of human DNA produced by the human females that is intermingled with fallen angel DNA. And so this, it's right there, above and beyond all the wickedness and the sin that was occurring on planet Earth that precipitated the Great Flood. The trigger, 
and we have to understand this because it's being repeated in our lifetime, the trigger that pulls the flood judgment is this sin. <clears throat> it's above and beyond all the other sins. The trigger that pulls the flood judgment is when the fallen angels mate with the human women, and you see the illicit mixture between human women DNA and fallen angel DNA. Thus, a hybrid race is, is birthed, which is a race that is sometimes referred to as uh, the Rephium or the fallen angels, etc. And it's from this race, this hybrid race, this polluted race, this defiled race. And the most important thing for you and I to understand about this polluted or, or fallen race is that because it's a hybrid race, it is technically in the eyes of God, and it is technically in the laws of genetics, it is technically no longer a human DNA race. Therefore, the hybrid race is not completely human. Therefore, the hybrid race is, in fact, non-human. And that is hugely important because God earlier tells us that the <clears throat> only people on planet Earth that can be saved, that can be born again, are those people that are born with 100% human DNA, uh, both on the male side and the female side. So only those people who are born out of 100% pure human DNA are actually human. And why that is important is because it is only human beings only human beings, that have the capacity to be forgiven of their sins, that have the capacity to be authentically born again, and they have the capacity to be fully human. As such, it is only the descendants of <clears throat> human women, when they mate with human men and produce 100% genetically fully human offspring, it is only those people who have that 100% pure DNA that have the capacity of actually being saved and being born again, because God's law says that only those human beings that are 100% human <clears throat> can be born again, and you must be born again, and you must—salvation is only available to those people who are 100% human beings. If you are not 100% a human being, you cannot be born again. And that is what we're running into now in, in this repeat of the last days. So it is for that reason, primarily, that God judges the world for their wickedness, genetic wickedness being at the top of the list. And so God judges the earth, God judges the world, and then God pours out the flood judgment upon every human being, <clears throat> with the exception of Noah and his family and Noah's sons and Noah's wives. And then God allows a select number of animals and, and beings and different species. God allows a select number of these animals and birds and fish, etc., to come on board with them on the giant ark. Now, for the rest of mankind, they, they corrupted themselves. 
So what that really means is that there may have been millions and millions of people on planet Earth, but the only people on planet Earth that could potentially be saved, the only people on planet Earth whose DNA had not been corrupted, whether they were human or animal or fish or whatever, the only people whose DNA was pure and clean and holy and undefiled was the DNA of Noah and his family, Noah and his sons, Noah and his wives, and their offspring, and a select number of animals from all the different species. Those alone had the capacity, they did, they did not have to be judged, but for the rest of mankind, and all the animals, and all the birds, and all the different species, <clears throat> the fallen angels descend, descended on earth, and by utilizing an advanced technology, which we call fallen angel technology, they <clears throat> um, transfigured or transformed their own DNA, which made it impossible for them to be saved. So now you have generation after generation and millions and millions of human beings who are born, along with generations of animals that are born. The animals and all the other animal-like species are defiled, but like a plague that has infected the human race all across planet Earth, millions, hundreds of millions of people cannot be born again. They cannot be saved. And that means when, G when, when God sends his son, Jesus Christ, into the earth to save mankind as the Savior and gives mankind the offer of salvation if they would put their faith in the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse them of all sin, if they would put their faith in God's promise to make them born again, by faith and inviting the Spirit of God to come into their inner man or inner woman and regenerate them from within, for all the men and women who are saved and born again, they have the privilege of entering into the kingdom of heaven, of giving, getting the gift of eternal life, of living in the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. And this is an awesome celebration and an awesome wonder, because what God has done is he has placed an eternal doorway before every man and woman alive who has not corrupted their DNA. And they are, they are the very children of God, the sons and daughters of God, who eventually will be destined to be joint heirs with Jesus. And so you have to think outside of the limitations of the fallen human mindset which erects barriers and strongholds that are illusions based on lies. You have to think outside of that box, and you have to embrace the fact that if you're born again by the Spirit of God, and you have been forgiven of your sins by the blood of Jesus Christ, that by faith you are entitled to be 100% certifiable son and daughter of God. And so when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you're born again, you can go after you die. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You go immediately into heaven. Immediately you receive your brand new glorified body that is perfect in every way. God reinstates the supernatural authority that he once gave Adam and Eve. God reinstates that authority in you as he did Adam and Eve before they fell. And you now are living on earth, or you did live on earth, and because of your faith in God's salvation, 
you are connected to a heavenly reality, which is in the kingdom of heaven, in the new earth, there exists a magnificent throne built by God. And on this magnificent throne built by God, your name is written on that this magnificent throne built by God. Your name is written on a throne designed specifically for you that you will specifically sit on. And so your throne is physically located near the throne of Jesus Christ. Why? Your throne is located near the throne of Jesus Christ because by faith you have become a joint heir with Jesus. That means by faith you are a recipient. You receive all of the vast eternal inheritance that God gives to all of his people, all of his sons and daughters the spiritual authority, the supernatural powers, the supernatural wisdom, the gift of eternal life, the gift of healing. We could go on for four hours and just begin to name the gifting and the blessings that are guaranteed to be yours because you are legally a joint heir with Jesus. And as a joint heir with Jesus, you share with Jesus Christ in a divine and eternal inheritance. We're not only are you, what is bestowed upon you is that you are now a king and a queen of Almighty God, along with the Lord Jesus Christ. What is bestowed upon you is the vast wealth, the vast resources, the vast authority. In your very nature, you are a joint heir with Jesus. So what does being a joint heir with Jesus means? It means because of the blood of Jesus Christ and your faith, you receive as a gift, this massive eternal inheritance that lasts forever and ever and ever. And you become a son and daughter of the Most High God. And so when you read the book of Revelation, one of the ways this manifests itself is this. Not only are you a joint heir with Jesus, but you are, are given and granted a throne to sit on where you will rule and reign with Jesus Christ as kings and queens for all eternity. And not only that, you are a recipient of the vast riches and resources and authority and inheritance that God bestows on the Lord Jesus. But guess what? God bestows this infinite blessing, this infinite inheritance upon every aspect of your life, because you too are a recipient as a joint heir with Jesus. Now, what does all this mean? What this means is this, the, these series of powerful truths should reframe your mind completely by what the Word of God is telling you. Your mind should be reframed. You should activate the mind of Christ. And so now you have experienced a paradigm shift when you re-enter the spiritual battlefield and go up against the demonic powers, the principalities and powers, the demons, the fallen angels, etc., etc. Now that you've experienced the paradigm shift and you find yourself in spiritual military engagement with these dark angelic forces, you discover that you are more than a mortal man. You discover that you're more than a mortal woman. You discover that you're not just some clown running around the Garden of Eden naked. You discover through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, you discover through a revelation of the Word of God, 
you realize and are quickened by a revelation. And this is the revelation which determines victory in the future, which is which changes the very direction and the very flow of human history. And this is it. And you need to know it and you need to own it. So you experience this paradigm shift produced by the Spirit of God. And God knows that as a, that as a mere human being, you are incapable of being victorious in and of yourself. You're incapable of, of magnifying the power, the strength, the wisdom, and the victory, and the knowledge, and all the stuff that you need to be victorious. So you realize through revelation from the Spirit of God that your ability to be, be, to be victorious in the last days is directly connected to your willingness to exercise the mustard seed of faith. And so it is by faith you receive all the promises, promises of God, which are yes and amen. You receive all the promises of God by faith. And then in worship to God, and that should begin, well, it should have begun years ago. But right now, at this moment, as you're listening to the Paul McGuire Report, I want to share something with you that should be construed by the Bible verses, deep falleth unto deep, which simply means the deep things of God that, that move through the deep innermost being of our personalities, the deep rivers of living water that flow through the deep parts of our human personalities, that deep calleth unto deep, where the Spirit of God uh, coming from deep depositories of ancient eternal wells in our inmost being, it begins to be unblocked, and the rivers of living water begin to flow up from inside of us, flow out outside of us, and we begin to flood the earth and flood our worship and flood this nation with the rivers of living water, which are synonymous with the, the rivers of living water, which is synonymous with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So what you need to do now at this moment is you need to stop banging your head against the wall in frustration intellectually. God is not, the way you're going to understand the depths of these truths is not by banging your head against the brick wall. You're going to pause, you're going to take a deep breath, you're going to hold your arms up and hands up outstretched and worship God, who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And as you worship God, who's King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Lord will begin to baptize you freshly with the Holy Spirit, freshly with power from on high. And now the Lord knows this. He knew it from the beginning. What will enable you to be more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus is to the degree you receive power from on high by faith. So now, at this moment, while you're listening to the Paul McGuire Report, you're not going to, you know, walk in the wilderness. You're going to make the radical choice to believe God for the impossible, and you're going to obey the words of Jesus Christ. You're going to go to Jerusalem and tarry in Jerusalem, or you're going to go to a secluded place which will, in effect, function as, it, as if it was your Jerusalem, the heavenly city on earth. You're going to go to Whatever, wherever it is that the Lord will lead you to be in the heavenly city on earth. 
whether that's physical Jerusalem or some other location, that's where you're going to go because you are being called right now to have a divine and supernatural encounter with God. And God has told you that you are to go to Jerusalem and tarry or wait in Jerusalem, to wait upon God in Jerusalem, fasting, praying, worshiping God, crying out to God, Jesus said, until you're going to continue this process of worshiping the Lord, until the Lord clothes you with power from on high, or until the Lord pours out his Holy Spirit upon you and clothes you with power from on high. So now you've made that radical decision to obey God. You're tarrying in your Jerusalem, wherever that might be. And as you're worshiping God and seeking God and crying out to God and repenting and engaging in spiritual warfare, you now are changing gears in the spiritual realm. You're opening the, the doors of the window of heaven, and God is right now, at this second, as you're listening to the Paul McGuire Report, some of you are listening in the Ukraine, some are listening in Russia, some are listening in Jerusalem, some are listening in New York, and Missouri, and North Carolina, and South Carolina, and Florida, and California. There are people listening to this program, to my surprise, all over planet Earth. And so you have a mission. You're a light wherever you are shining the light in. And so now, as you're worshiping God, you're going to make the decision to receive this now by faith. And you're going to say these words out loud as an act of worship. And I'm asking you in faith to repeat these words after me. Say these words and mean it. Lord Jesus Christ, I praise your name. Lord Jesus Christ, I worship you. Lord Jesus Christ, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord Jesus Christ, I obey you, Lord Jesus Christ, and I acknowledge that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. I am tarrying and waiting upon you in Jerusalem, God, as you commanded me to, and I'm seeking your face. And so at this moment, utilizing a mustard seed of faith, I call upon you, and at this moment, I ask you to clothe me with power from on high. So by faith, right now, Jesus, I receive a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. I receive being clothed with power from on high. And I thank you, Lord, that you are baptizing me afresh with the Holy Spirit. That, that right now, at this nanosecond, there is an explosion going off in my inner man and inner woman. That explosion is known as the dunamis dynamite power of God. Dunamis being the word which means the dynamite-like explosive force of God. So from within my inner being, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, there is a detonation, an explosion of the dynamite power of God. And as such, I am being clothed with power from on high. Now, as I pursue deeper and move into the spiritual battlefield, and I engage in confrontation with demons and fallen angels and people who are possessed with an antichrist spirit, I am not fighting the spiritual battle in and of my own strength or in and of my own human uh, capacity. I, I am engaged in spiritual conflict with all kinds of battlefields. But right now, Lord, I proclaim to you and I say before you that the tide of the battle has forever turned. The tide of the battle has forever turned because I'm not fighting it on my terms any longer. I'm not fighting it on my strength any longer. 
I've made the radical decision to partner with you, to draw your supernatural strength, to allow the revelation of God to explode in my inner man and inner woman. And so it's out of that context, context, the dunamis dynamite power of God, the explosion of the Holy Spirit, I move into shifting from that perspective, and now I move forward in victory. And so, Lord, as these spiritual opponents engage me, as the spiritual battles of all kinds engage me, as the spiritual fights engage me at every level, there is a marked shift. There is a massive sea change in the way I'm conducting myself. I am no longer conducting myself as a mere mortal. I am conducting myself as a supernatural man or woman that is supernaturally clothed with power from on high. And I say before you and the angels of heaven and the human beings on earth, I make this declaration under the anointing of the Most High God. And this is what I say, and this is my declaration, that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, and that I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And that which you have put in me, I will obey, and I will, I will take the land. No ifs, buts, or about it. I will take the land. And so you will. So let me add to you a prayer, because this is not just an intellectual show where there's an exchange of intellectual ideas. We know that's very important. We know the Christian community painfully lacks a rigorous and robust intellectual debate. Uh, But this particular segment of the show is devoted to and dedicated to a actual transfer of supernatural power from on high, the dunamis dynamite power from on high, which God has instructed me after seeking his face in prayer, after humbling myself before him, God has instructed me to first make sure that I come before God asking to be cleansed of all of my sins encouraging you to cleanse yourself of all of your sins. And then I come boldly to the throne of grace to find an ever-present help in time of need. And so right now, together, that's you and me and everybody else joining in on this prayer, we pray as one, as the disciples did in the upper room. We're praying as one. So that means our purpose and intention is to be clothed with power from on high. And so right now, Jesus, we receive the clothing of power from on high, from Almighty God. And we are clothed with power, uh, with fire. And we are anointed with the dunamis, dynamite, explosive power of God. And as such, we choose to take the land. And we declare before you, God, Almighty God, we praise you and worship you. And we declare before you that we are the sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are the blood-bought children of God. And we have decided with an act of our will to move forward aggressively and faithfully in battle. And every place that the feet, that the, that the, where our feet tread, we are going to possess and occupy in Jesus' name. Amen. So finally, let me pray this prayer for you. I ask that you raise your hands and worship the Lord if that's convenient. Maybe you need to pull off on the side of the road so you don't get into an accident. However, it's convenient. I'm asking you to worship God with your hands outstretched, and I'm making a promise to you. Right now, as you're listening to me talk, there are countless thousands, 10,000, 100,000, I don't know the exact number, of people who are intercessory prayer warriors, and they have already been given the assignment 
of warfare spiritual pray, prayer, and they have been praying the whole time that I've been talking to you about this. They've been praying for you because they're sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So let us pray in finality. Join me in prayer, and let us watch the amazing things that God will do. Lord Jesus Christ, we praise your name. We worship you. You are a holy God. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. We praise your name, Jesus. Lord, we come boldly to the throne of grace right now in the name of Jesus. We ask that you would clothe each one of us with power from on high. We ask that the power from on high would clothe us. We ask that you would fill us to overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask that you would reignite the spiritual power and gifting in each one of us. And Lord, this is what we pray for. This is what we contend for in the name of Jesus. We aggressively go before you in the throne room of God. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. So with passionate, peaceful, law-abiding aggression, we passionately and aggressively seize hold of the throne room of God and the kingdom of God. And Lord, from our position of sitting on the throne room of God, we ask that you would baptize us afresh with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, God, right now we praise your name, and in the name of Jesus, and in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, we call upon you now, Lord. Right now, at this second, we call upon you, Lord Jesus, and we ask that you would open the windows of heaven right now, Lord Jesus. And Lord, right now, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would pour out the incredibly mighty, forceful outpouring, the unspeakable, unquenchable outpouring of the power of the Holy Spirit. We receive it now by faith. We receive by faith the infusion of the rivers of living water that are flooding our inmost being. Lord, from the spirit realm, we can see uh, the infusion of the rivers of living water filling us, embedding us, and overflowing us in the name of Jesus. And as such, in the name of Jesus, because of the rivers of living water, we praise you, God, we worship you, God, that right now in Jesus' name, we are revitalized by the power of God. We are quickened by the power of God. The giftings, the miracles, the signs and the wonders, the prophetic gifts, the fruits of the Spirit, they're all being reactivated in us right now in the name of Jesus. And so, Lord, as we call upon you and as we praise you, Lord Jesus, as we raise our hands to heaven, we ask that you would drench us in the power of the Holy Spirit and that right now there would be the dunamis dynamite explosion of God. And this explosion of God would be transformed into a biblical third great awakening and a biblical uh, revival that not only will flood our lives mightily with the power of the Holy Spirit, but that you would flood our lives, our churches, our families, our communities, our nations, that you would flood every aspect of our lives with the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let it be, Lord Jesus, let it be. Now, finally, God, in the name of Jesus, as we're calling upon you, we say to you, Lord, our nation has been set on fire by demons, by demonic structures, by demonic organizations. They have 
lit the fires of chaos. They have lit the fires of Luciferian rituals. They have lit the fires of discontent. They have lit the fires of satanic Marxist communist revolution. They have set things on fire here in California and across the nation. They have conspired against us, O Lord. You see them, O Lord, from heaven, and you are not mocked. You see the terrorists. You see the anarchists. You see the rebellious individuals in California and other places that have embedded themselves in the forests and the trees. And Lord, they have used gasoline and other elements, and they have deliberately and strategically set fires and ignited massive fires with the intention of burning down our infrastructure, burning down our homes, burning down our nation, instilling fear and instilling chaos. Now, Lord, we come boldly into the throne room of God, and we say to you, Lord, you know precisely who they are. And so, Lord, we come to you on the basis of the fact that you know precisely who they are, those that have set on fire our nation and infrastructure. Lord, first give them an opportunity to radically repent of their sins. But if they remain steadfast in their anarchism, their rebellion, their, their uh, Satanism, and chaos, if they remain committed to an Antichrist agenda, after you have sufficiently warned them, Lord, let me pray this prayer boldly in authority. You, who are listening to this program, because mysteriously the angels of God made sure that you listen to this program, because the warning contained in this program contains a warning specifically from Almighty God, and it is, it is to be heard and deliberately abided by you. Now hear the word of the Lord. The Lord is patient and loving, and the Lord is giving you one more chance. The Lord is giving you one more chance and warning you not to burn down things, not to sow chaos, murder, destruction, revolution, criminality. The Lord is warning you, and he's saying to you very firmly, stop it. Stop it immediately. You are harming my people. You are harming innocent people. Stop it immediately. Now, I'm telling you this as a prophet of God and your brother in Christ. Hear me. Do not despise the words of the prophets. Hear me again. Do not despise the words of the prophets because the words of the prophets come true. I'm not proclaiming myself to be a prophet. Let me make that clear. I am telling you the truth. I am issuing the warning prophetically. If you observe that my prophetic warning comes true, then you will know whether or not I'm speaking legitimately from the context of a prophetic voice. So I issue the warning to you. Stop. Cease and desist. You have no, listen to me, you have no idea whatsoever of what you're playing with. And I would expand that warning to those of you in governmental agencies, in high governmental agencies, to those of you who, who, who have been legitimately taken advantage of, legitimately exploited. So it's not like the Lord doesn't hear your plea, because he does. The fact of the matter is, you have been ripped off. I know, once upon a time, I was a revolutionary and a counterculture member. But the Lord is saying, hear me now, says the Lord. Even though it is true you have been ripped off, you have been deceived, you have been lied to, you have been betrayed. 
And in many cases, the argument could be raised that you are justified in doing what you're doing. The Lord has this to say to you. The Lord is saying to you, I am, because I am Lord God Almighty, I am issuing an edict, which is my right, because I am King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I am declaring to you that even though on certain levels, it is justifiable for you to initiate chaos and riots and burning and looting and chaos and things of that nature. The Lord is saying to you that he's not condoning what you're doing, but the Lord is saying that he can see why you would consider that justifiable, because those were criminal acts done against you, and nobody came to your defense. And so the Lord sees the fact that you were stolen from, ripped off, and exploited. But now, hear the word of the Lord. The Lord is saying to you, I know who you are, I know where you live, but I do not find your actions of violence, your actions of chaos, your action of burning things down, your actions of murder, your actions of revolution, your actions of killing innocent people. The Lord is saying to you by name that I do not find those actions justifiable or acceptable in my eyes, says the Lord, and I am holy. I am holy, and I am the righteous judge of all the world. So the Lord God Almighty is saying to you, I am required because you have, listen carefully, this is so, so important that you precisely understand what God is saying to you. The Lord is saying to you, I understand that on the basis of your intellect and your precision, that you have come up with the conclusion that you have been stolen from and ripped off and betrayed in many ways. The Lord is saying to you personally by name, I am not, the Lord is saying, hear me now, says the Lord, I am not discounting from you the fact that you were stolen from, ripped off, cheated, lied to, etc., etc. The Lord is saying to you, those are not figments of your imagination, and they are not fabrications, says the Lord. But the Lord now is saying to you this, because I have given you, hear me, says the Lord, because I'm not going to warn you again. The Lord is saying to you, because I have given you a far higher ability of perception, because I have given you a far higher ability of analysis and understanding and political coherency and um, the ability to understand the big picture, because I have graced you and given you the ability to perceive reality and struggles and long-term issues on a far deeper and greater level than most people, including most of your peers. Hear me now, says the Lord, I'm speaking to you, because I have blessed you with a superior intellect, a superior understanding, says the Lord. Therefore, just like anybody who is called to be one of my Bible teachers, I have a high calling for you in Christ Jesus. The fact that I have a high calling for you in Christ Jesus means that I am taking you to a far higher level than your average person. I am taking you to the higher part of the mountain of God, and I am communicating to you on a higher level than I would the ordinary person. The Lord is saying to you, because I have bestowed upon you all kinds of gifting, perception, and understanding, therefore it is my requirement of you to process your thinking 
your understanding, your strategy, and revelation. I am commanding you to use your gifting at a far, far higher and far more exponential level than the ordinary person. And therefore, says the Lord God, I am calling you to higher ground. Why, says the Lord? Because I am asking you by name, and you know who you are, and you know that I'm asking you by name, because you can feel right now, you can feel the presence of the Holy Spirit on your body, your mind, and your soul. In fact, right now, in the name of Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit is touching you, and you know that you know that you know on a factual basis that the presence of the Holy Spirit is touching you and ministering to you, and this that you are now having a supernatural encounter with the living God. And it's not a joke, and it's not a hallucination. You are being communicated to, by me, God Almighty, at a higher level. And as such, I am requiring of you today that you forsake and put away childish thinking, childish ways, inconclusive philosophical developments, and premature conclusions. The Lord says, I am requiring of you this day that you take a giant leap into your future and that you begin to operate on the higher level that I have called you to operate on. Hear me again, says the Lord. I have called you to operate on a higher level than you have previously thought you were called to. And so the Lord is saying to you, I am saying this to you because I am speaking the truth to you. My words are reverberating with power in your inner man and inner woman. You unmistakably can feel the power of God resonating in your inner man and inner woman. And the Lord would say to you that I am calling you up to higher ground. I am calling you to put away childish things. I am calling you to operate, think, lead, despise, not despise, uh, espouse. I'm calling you to develop your ideas. I'm calling you to formulate your words. On every level and every interface of your life, says the Lord, I am calling you to step up to a much higher level. I am calling you to step up and raise the level of your game. And the Lord is saying this to you now, and he wants you to hear it. I am calling you to positions of influence. I am calling you to positions of leadership that are far beyond anything that you ever dared to dream in your entire life. I am calling you to be an influencer on a national and an international level, which will require, says the Lord, that you deeply rethink your philosophical, your theological, your logical, your scientific, your sociological positions. The Lord is saying to you, for you to accurately hit the target, metanoia, for you to accurately hit the bullseye, metanoia, then you are going to have to develop your skills, abilities, and talents so that they can operate on a much higher level of efficiency. And the day will come, says the Lord, that you will, that you will look back into the past from this present moment of prophecy, and you will realize, looking back from this moment of prophecy, that this dialogue that you and I had together was indeed not the figment of your imagination. It wasn't some hallucinogenic fantasy that you had. It wasn't just a ride on the merry-go-round. 
You will look back on your past. You will remember the days of this communication as if they happened yesterday. And the Lord says, you will recognize that today, the weeks before and the weeks afterwards, you will recognize with all your heart, soul, and spirit that I, the Lord God Almighty, deliberately chose you, deliberately plucked you out from the mediocre, from the masses. I deliberately set you apart from other leaders. Hear me, says the Lord. I deliberately set you apart from other leaders, and I have bestowed favor upon you. I have bestowed stature upon you, and you will look back from this time forward, and you will recognize that these were the weeks and the days of your supernatural intervention, where I chose to penetrate the barriers in your heart, mind, and soul, where I chose to penetrate the, the walls in your heart, where I chose to set you apart from the common man. And hear me, says the Lord of hosts, hear me well. Just like every man or woman in the Bible who experienced the call of God before they entered that fulfillment, so I am calling you too. So first, the Lord says, comes the authentic, miraculous, supernatural call of God upon your life, which is happening now. Secondly, the Lord God Almighty says, my hand is upon you. The supernatural outpouring of my Holy Spirit is upon you. I am coordinating all things in your life so that you will be shaped and molded into being a mighty man of God. And I am equipping you with an an exceedingly high degree of intelligence, an exceedingly high degree of analytical activities, an exceedingly high degree of uh, intellectual thinking processes. And hear me, says the Lord. This promise is unique. Hear me, says the Lord, because I promise and I vow from your obscure station in life right now, which I always want you to remember, the obscure position that you originally came from, the Lord is saying to you, I am taking you from your obscure position, I am raising you up over time, and the Lord is saying to you, I am raising you up to be a leader and an influencer among the nations, and you will in part Use your rhetoric, your wisdom, your wit, your brilliance, and your understanding. I have chosen, yes, yes, don't shirk back what I, the Lord, have decreed. Don't mock what I, the Lord, have decreed regarding you. Get over it. It is my delight to choose the common things in this world. I chose you before the beginning of time to be here for such a time as this. And I chose you for the purpose of exalting you for the purpose of shaping and fashioning you into a mighty man of God. And so you shall be a mighty man of God, and you shall be one of my primary instruments in turning the tide. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I want to finish with this final statement. I didn't expect to to launch out into a prophetic prayer, but I obeyed the Holy Spirit. And as somebody who chose to obey the Holy Spirit while running the risk of being attacked, I'm talking to you directly. I believe that many of you who heard that message, that that message was specifically designed for your ears. So that message was designed for many of you, not just a few of you. Then I believe that the Lord is calling many of you who heard that message. The Lord is calling many of you to 
to be carriers of that message, to write it down, to speak it, to make a copy of a tape or whatever. And I believe with all my heart that the Lord, the Lord God Almighty is carrying you for the intention of spreading this vital message far and wide across America and across the earth. I believe that the message was anointed like a great harvest. I believe the message received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon it. And I believe the message contained the rain from the kingdom of God. And God is initiating and launching and igniting and propelling outwards a vast army of his disciples. Those of you that gathered with hungry hearts to hear this message, the Lord just spoke to you. Now, I don't want to talk about myself, but if Paul McGuire had heard this message 35, 40 years ago, I would have been just as uncertain in hearing the message. I would have been just as insecure hearing the message. I would have been just as double-minded as some of you are hearing the message. But I must tell, tell you in all truthfulness that I heard something very similar to this exact message repetitively over and over again, time after time after time. I heard this message from Christians, from letters, from weird encounters with people. I kept hearing it over and over and over again until finally I dropped my defense mechanisms and I chose to embrace this message. And at a certain point in my historical time zone of life, I decided to obey the Lord God Almighty and I marched forward in faithfulness as a carrier of his message. So, those of you that the message was meant for you, store it up and use it. Many of you heard the message, not necessarily for you individually, but you heard the message for the purpose and reason of absorbing and memorizing the message. And it is the Lord's expectation that the, that the message you are memorizing, the message that you are learning, the message that you are going to communicate because you're a faithful man and woman of God, that message, because of your faithfulness, is going to be carried far and wide all over the earth in all different nations and all different colors and all different ethnic groups. That message is going to spread far and wide, and the seed planting from that message is going to bring in a massive day's soul harvest. Because you have to understand, when you give a message like that by faith under the supernatural anointing of God, it is planting seed. Even though you don't know it and I don't know it, we are planting seed in the lives of the people that need to hear the message. We're breaking the, the, the spirit of captivity off them. We're setting them free. So here's the final prayer. Lord God Almighty, we praise your name. I pray, God, in the name of Jesus and the authority of Jesus Christ, that the angelic armies would accompany every person who heard the message, would accompany every person who's going to distribute the message, would accompany every person who has received the message. I pray, God, that your power from on high would carry the message to every single one of its intended ports, its intended destinations, and its intended arrival points. I pray, God Almighty, that you would supernaturally guard the integrity and the clarity of the message so that massive numbers of people 
experience the revelation of that message. It burns a a fire in their heart, and they are able to faithfully march out and ignite power from on high in the lives of millions of people. So this is, I know I've said it's over, it's over, but this is finally over. Contained in that message is a powerful truth the Lord deposited in my heart beginning about a year ago. The Lord told me to write a book that I would never have normally written, because prior to that, it was basically Bible prophecy, and I knew that I knew that I knew that if I wrote a book called Power from on High, that I would find myself in the center of the cyclone of theological controversy, that I would be attacked for daring to suggest that the Holy Spirit is still working today, and that I would be attacked for daring to suggest that power from on high is still available to his people today. I knew that. But I made the decision like I made that decision decades ago in my ministry, time after time, and it has not always been easy. I have been confronted. I've been at a crossroads where the Lord has told me to do something or say something or speak something, and I've had to wrestle with my flesh, where my flesh is telling me, calm down, don't rock the boat, you know, be a politician, and everybody will love you, and you'll get standing applauses, you'll get the bigger uh, uh, book deals, you'll get the bigger television deals. It's in other words, it's the devil, it's the voice of the Satan speaking to me and trying to talk me out of obeying God radically. And that's one of Satan's primary ways of attacking all of us. So I knew, as the Lord brewed in my heart, that I had to write a book entitled Power from on High. That book and that message had a very powerful historical impact upon me when I was first saved, the second year I was saved at the Lambs Club uh, in um, uh, Broadway, Times Square, you know, the, the dinner theater, contemporary Christian music concert center, television center that I was the producer and host of. Somehow, my eyes caught the cover of an old book that wasn't particularly exciting in its graphics, but the title of the book in big letters was this. The title of the book said, Power from on High, and it was a picture of a man holding a, 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 like a carpenter's strong hammer, and he used his muscular arm, and he brought it down full force. And he literally, this workman, literally took his hammer and smashed with all of his might this frozen heart that was not producing the fruit and spiritual power it was supposed to because the participants in the power of God were in the business of man-pleasing, in the business of, of uh, Christian politics and being political to be p- you know, pleased and liked by everybody. So I looked at this cover. It was very simple. It was written by the father of the Second Great Awakening, Charles Finney. Charles Finney was a brilliant, famous lawyer. And Charles Finney was the brilliant, famous lawyer who was responsible for igniting the Second Great Awakening in America, which had the practical effects of igniting Uh, the freeing of the African-American slaves, and breaking the hard hearts of religion all across America, breaking the religious spirit. And what he did with his uncompromised preaching was he set the church on fire with fire from on high, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so on the picture of the book, 
you see a heart, the drawing of a heart, a hammer coming down, and the hammer is smashing the heart into pieces, representing what happens when the power of God encounters the stone wall barrier of religious tradition. It has to be destroyed with power from on high. And so that message, just on the basis of the visuals, I later studied the entire book, was the first message I heard that was preaching the absolute necessity for believers to be filled with power from on high. Now, the great evangelist who preceded Charles Finney, his name um, was Jonathan Edwards. He was the father of the first Great Awakening, and his message was very similar. Uh, he, He preached in all these camp meetings and cities all over the East Coast and the Midwest and part of the West Coast, and his message was simple, that without the power of the Holy Spirit, without power from on high, the Church of Jesus Christ in America would fail and could not possibly fulfill a biblical Great Commission on biblical terms. So his message was that the Church of Jesus Christ had to be clothed with power from on high, that the Church of Jesus Christ had to be filled with power from on high. And if we would obey God and tarry into Jerusalem until the Father poured out the Holy Spirit, God would ignite this biblical power in our midst, and it would radically change our cities, our politics, our society, and everything, everything. Now, what was interesting about Charles Finney and his message on power from on high, what was really interesting about it is he was kind of a Baptist. He was a Baptist. He was a Southern Baptist. He wasn't a charismatic or a Pentecostal. And yet he, both these men, Finney and, uh, you know, the other igniters of the First and Second Great Awakening, they shared something in common. They feared nothing but God, and they radically obeyed God by occupying the land and taking the land. And as a result of their uncompromised preaching, They set America on fire with the supernatural power of God. So let's go back to Charles Finney. Uh, Charles Finney was a heavy-duty lawyer, so he was an intellect. But what is interesting about Charles Finney is that he was deeply involved in the occult. Charles Finney was deeply involved in occultic, Luciferian, Freemasonry. Charles Finney was deeply involved in the Freemasonic, Masonic religions, their rituals. He was, he was secretly involved in all of their secret societies. So unlike most pastors in America today, who, sadly to say, are completely ignorant regarding the nature of their spiritual enemy, Charles Finney was not completely ignorant. He was a savvy expert in understanding Freemasonry, the Illuminati, the Rosicrucians, and all the occult secret societies. That's why God was able to use him in the most unusual way. He also championed the anti-slavery movement. And you can say anything you want, but the slaves would never have been freed in America through mere social activism. What freed the slaves in America was the faithful Holy Spirit Word of God teaching by Charles Finney, which cracked the ice and allowed the power of the Holy Spirit to come down with force on the followers of Charles Finney. 
Now, another thing was Charles Finney, unlike many pastors today, many pastors today, their basic theology is this, and it's an abomination before God, and I don't apologize for exposing it. Many pastors today, not all pastors, I know many great pastors, I know many heroic pastors, so let's establish that. But there's a disturbing number of pastors today who um, are accommodators, politicians, schmoozers. Their game every day is to schmooze, to politic, to flatter, to say the right thing so they get the right promotions. They want they want the lust of denominational power and money. They want the lust of writing books and being a celebrity preacher. And so the way they garner that lust and that lustful power is they simply are a sponge and they repeat everything that a pastor in a particular denomination might be saying that they perceive is winning him favor, winning him money, winning him, um, you know, the good things in life. But when we examine intensely the biblical lives of Charles Finney and the biblical life of, um, of these other great men of God, Charles Finney and others, we discovered that they were not people-pleasing preachers. They preached the Word of God, no matter how uncomfortable it was. They preached the Word of God, no matter how uh, safe or unsafe it was. They preached the Word of God with fire and conviction. And so, uh, Charles Finney um, systematically attacked the Southern Baptist denomination. Charles Finney attacked Southern Baptist churches, Southern Baptist preachers, and the Southern Baptist movement, even though he was probably the greatest evangelist in the world at that time. So this is no lightweight making a criticism. This is a man who is widely considered to be one of the greatest evangelists, preachers, Bible teachers of integrity. He's widely considered to be one of the greatest men of God in the history of our nation. And that's because he refused to compromise. And so after he studied and knew what the heck he was talking about, the Lord opened his eyes and he realized that the, the, the hills that the secret meeting halls, that secret meetings in churches, that secret ecclesiastical sessions, that they really weren't preaching the Word of God, but they were all united under the purpose of promoting and spreading occultism, spreading and promoting uh, Freemasonry, uh, Masonry, and other occult teachings. He was deeply, deeply involved in the preaching of the Freemasonic and occultic religions. And that is Antichrist in nature. So he was a brave man, and he was attacked viciously, yet he never backed down. And he was so resolute in his mind that when he, when he turned his attention to rebuking in love all the Christian churches that compromised the truth of the gospel, he refused to change his message because his message was sell out to Jesus, period. Okay, so this is important to know. Now, when we contrast this kind of aggressive and 100% biblical preaching with the so-called Christian leaders of today, what we see to a disturbingly large degree is a very large number of Christian preachers, Christian teachers, 
Christian Bible study men, Christian denominational leaders, Christian pastors, who who form an alliance based on political correctness, who form an alliance based on coming together to to attack, um, you know, a weaker Christian movement, even though the Christian movement is off. And so he stood his ground, his ground. He stood his ground, and he would not back down from teaching the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so ultimately, after waging intensive spiritual war, after being called names and attacked and everything else, ultimately, he prevailed. Ultimately, people rejected Freemasonry. They rejected uh, all the occult ideas. He rejected um, all the uh, political ideas. And as a former Freemason, he contrasted the corruption and the copping out and everything else. He contrasted it with um, the lies of, of Freemasonry. And that's what we have to learn. Now, let's take another deep dive here, and that is what we see in the Christian movement at this time. And it began with uh, not only Charles Finney, but it began with other great men and women of God who, who exhibited tremendous sacrifice in standing up for the truth and the integrity of the gospel. And so men like Jonathan Edwards. He confronted the the Anglican Church, the Church of England, for their heresy. He he took on the Catholic Church for its heresy, and he was a mighty oak tree of faith. And he was faithful in season and out season, because he stood for Jesus Christ. He stood for the truth of God's Word, and he would not back down. He would not back down. He preached the truth constantly. And so his preaching was considered to be like a battering ram that when his followers, who were truly dedicated Christians, would march outside his large home, they would smash open the doors, they would mock him, they would attack him and accuse him of selling out. The fact of the matter is he he didn't even remotely sell out. He continued to uh, fight the good fight of faith, and he allowed himself to be baptized, if you will, with uh, the, the, what we could call spiritual spinach, spiritual salad, and the, the ointments of authentic biblical Christianity, which he stood for. So this is the birth of Christianity in America. Now remember, before the, the early pilgrims and Puritans, but at the very beginning, the men and women who settled early America were all, for the most part, strong Bible-believing Christians. So they loved the Word of God, they taught the Word of God, they made the Word of God preeminent. And men who, who did a lot of good, but, but had some faults in certain areas, were men like Dave Hunt, who um, is to be credited for this. He always put the Word of God above and beyond, or before, the, the, the Word of God in the messages and the uh, other messages. He placed the Word of God first. And so if you were to summarize this entire movement of Christianity, it could be summarized by the phraseology that goes as following. The phraseology is that um, 
It is God who is our final authority, not man. And whenever you see these troubles brewing, what you inevitably see is fights, troubles, theological wars, because one side inevitably is not following the word of God with an aggressiveness that the other side is. And, and that's, not, that's not right. So these are the formation of biblical revival in America. Now, prior to the uh, Revolutionary War, the wars that were breaking out in America had to do with the fact that all these pilgrims and Puritans were fleeing Great Britain, fleeing Italy, fleeing Europe, and in the process of fleeing Europe and Great Britain, they were fleeing to the United States of America, where they, they were in search, for the first time in their lives, they were in search of religious freedom, uh, and they were in search of the freedom to be able to practice their religion openly. And that is the center of it. So, so the fighting with all these different groups, et cetera, et cetera, unfortunately was a necessary evil and a byproduct because without their willingness to fight and take on the truth of biblical truth, they would have, they would have been shattered. They would have been absolutely shattered. All right, now let's move again into where we are today. So America was, essentially it could be said that America was founded by pilgrims and Puritans who were being persecuted for their faith in Great England and other areas. The reason that they were being persecuted for their faith is that the, that the religious people in, um, you know, North America and other places in America that all these religious people were beginning to reject the Word of God. They were beginning to reject the power of God's Word. They were beginning to drift from the authority, the power, and the kingdom glory of God's Word. And they began instead to dilute God's Word. They began instead to uh, uh, kind of pass by God's Word, and they began to agree ahead. Uh, to, to I think, you know, desert some of the foliage in our backyard. Uh, I don't mean that as some kind of weird statement. It's just that when the, the roots are plugged deeply into the soil, they get the rain, they get the nutrients. So in our individual Christian lives, which I've experienced a lot of lately, especially doing my chores of uh, planting trees and bushes, etc., I couldn't help but notice that when you dig deep enough in the soil, the soil is bursting with nutrients and bursting with uh, all kinds of vitamins and other things, which even in a, a arid environment, even in an arid environment, these are the, the things that make, you know, our, our ecosystem flourish. Okay, so Charles Finney um, helped ignite the Second World War. So people blame Christians for racism all the time. Now, here's the problem with that. It is factually not true. It is historically not true. It is a total fabrication, which is not true, to blame the, the uh, Second Great Awakening and the Civil War when you attempt to blame Bible-believing Christians for racism, etc., etc., the fact of the matter is that is simply not true. Christians 
were by no means responsible for the racist atmosphere that permeated the colonies. The racist atmosphere that permeated the colonies originally came over from Great Britain. It originally came over from South Africa. It originally came over from many islands, Africa, uh, and other nations where they they promoted this 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 false idea of a master race. And when you do a deep dive and really analyze the false teachings of the master race, and this is why I really exhort you to get knowledge which is power, get yourself a copy in sequence of my books, Power from on High, A Prophecy of the Future of America, Volume 1 and 2, A Prophecy of the Future of America, um, get yourself a copy of a book on the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. Start to read Francis Schaeffer. And what will happen is when your mind is saturated with biblical truth or your mind is saturated with truth at any level, you, you become victorious. You become more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. So the, the critical thing here was that true Christians had to realize they were in an all-out battle with the principalities and powers, the dark unseen forces of wickedness in heavenly places, spiritual warfare, principalities and powers. We were fighting an all-out battle between God's people and these demonic forces. And so the way that we fight and overcome and are victorious against these demonic forces is that we have to penetrate the ground we have to infiltrate the ground, and whenever we locate or bear in on um, psychopathic strategies designed to wipe out God's people, designed to wipe out um, the, the kingdom of God, you know, you have the first stages in a military attack against the United States of America. So let me throw this all-important truth into your mind. The fact of the matter is that the, the uh, First Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening were both movements of God that in each in their different way um, released and ignited the power of God to create a biblical revival, biblical rec reconciliation, and biblical overcoming. And these, these battles began in the earlier part of the church, sometimes after the 1600s. Now, the, the other critical thing is, is that we, the Christians, apparently were on the side of right. We allied ourselves with the, 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 the not the Confederate Army, we allied ourselves with the Union Army, which was dedicated to freeing the slaves. We, we dedicated ourselves to uh, uh, freeing the slaves, uh, making all kinds of reforms, giving African Americans education, and all kinds of things. It was a very aggressive uh, move and a very aggressive uh, dimension of healing on, on many, many levels. Now, as this continued, um, the, the side that championed freeing the slaves, won that spiritual battle. I would suggest to you something. I, can't, I don't have conclusive historical proof to prove it, 
But I would suggest to you, I would hypothetically present to you this fact, the fact that um, the Civil War essentially was a war that was fought to free slaves who were imprisoned into the abominations of slavery in an immoral, criminal uh, way, uh, made that the Confederate Army and the uh, Confederate soldiers, and not everybody will agree with me, but when you when you decided to side on the side of civil war, you you joined the site uh, the side of righteousness. The, the, you joined the side of uh, doing what was right, freeing the slaves, providing equal opportunity, equal money to all of those soldiers that freed the slaves and all of those that were part of 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 the Union Army. Now, conversely. And I understand that there are many other factors here, such as there was a betrayal going on where high-level members of the U.S. government, and as I understand it, particularly in the the economic areas of the U.S. government, were secretly cutting dirty deals with the Rothschild banking family, with the uh, um, Rockefeller banking family, the other banking families. They were secretly cutting dirty deals, which would have destroyed the American economy and destroyed America as a free nation and eventually and potentially allowed Great Britain or England to come back into America and seize America and to seize America uh, and take its freedom. Now, so, so it's a somewhat complicated issue because on one hand we can say with, with a high degree of certainty that morally slavery is unjustifiable, especially this kind of slavery, slavery which abused, abused the slaves and caused the slaves to suffer. Um, and so the Civil War and Abraham Lincoln and all that stuff was largely part of that uh, uh, dynamic. Now, so obviously God cannot bless the side that is enslaving people. But on the other hand, uh, the so-called righteous army, and I say so-called because this is not simply a black and white issue, no pun intended. But the fact of the matter is, is that the um, uh, Union Army, the army backed by President Lincoln, and, and many other people, they were nowhere, nowhere near as, na- as noble as they pretended to be. They faked a compassion for slaves. They used their compassion for slaves as a PR movie, a PR move. But essentially, they were just as evil in many respects as the Union Army. So it's not as cut and dry and as simple as it may seem. Now. Freeing the slaves was a huge priority to God, and God honored that. He did free the slaves through the Civil War. But here's where the conundrum, here's where the complexity comes in. The Union Army uh, and other groups uh, were organizing, and they were in secret communication with and in secret contact with the armies of Great Britain and the King of Great Britain, because the King of Great Britain and the British armies 
were secretly sneaking back in to North America and the United States, and they had a stealth plan to recapture the United States of America and bring back the United States of America back under the fold of Great Britain, which would have, in a bigger sense, enslaved all the people of America. It would have significantly reduced the standard of living of all the people of America, and it would have harmed us uh, in terms of manufacturing and, and in so many different ways. So no side was completely clean on this issue. But this is what we do know happened, and this should be top of the mind for every Christian. They should understand this backwards and forwards. The fact of the matter is, is that the world has essentially been ruled by the international banking families of Europe and Great Britain for thousands of years. They collectively and very secretly possess trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars, along with real estate, diamond mines, and all kinds of natural resources. Now, um, they wanted America back. So in a sense, even though we won the Civil War, the Union side, Great Britain did, through very sophisticated maneuvers, Great Britain did win America back from the Union Army in the United States. The way they won America back was they bankrolled via these super powerful secret societies like the, uh, um, you know, the, the Union Army and the Confederate Army and the Union politicians and the Confederate politicians. And they secretly initiated a plan which would bring all these groups back under the dominion of Great Britain, back under the rule of Great Britain. And a lot of people don't understand this. A lot of people are confused about this, and therefore their opinion is marginalized. So this is what happened. The the Union Army uh, and the Confederate Army worked out, you know, some kind of peace deal to the Civil War. And so what happened was that they uh, created a new plan that was theoretically supposed to incorporate some of the ideas in the Civil War or the Civil War platform versus some of the ideas uh, in the platform of the uh, uh, Union Army. But here, here's where you need to focus in. Now, you cannot understand this unless you're willing to get off your butt and study. My books are very fast-moving, they're very entertaining, and in a very quick period of time, you will download the absolutely essential truths of everything that we're talking about. If you rebel and refuse to get smart, to step up your game, I can't help you. You are going to be a usable buffoon in Satan's circus. So this is how it works. The, the militarization by Great Britain, what they did is Great Britain managed to amass more wealth than any other nation, essentially, on planet Earth, because there were, there were a whole long list of super-trillionaire families headquartered in Great Britain, the heads of secret societies headquartered in Great Britain, the heads of uh, uh, banking, secret banking families and trillionaires headquartered in Great Britain, 
And so the global money system was essentially being operated out of Great Britain, and specifically the Rothschild family, the Rockefeller family, and many other super, super wealthy British families. They ruled the world. They conquered Africa. They conquered the diamond mines. They conquered, they made colonies out of all of these nations. The English Empire uh, made a fortune through their colonies, through their opium wars, addicting. They were ruthless. Don't think that they were saints. The British military industrial complex deliberately addicted Great Britain and the people of Great Britain to opium. They got them addicted to opium, especially the Chinese, so that they would have customers for life. Once they got them hooked on opium, then all their work and labor would go to Great Britain, who would endlessly buy opium. This was like really evil. But the men behind that used the opium wars and the vast opium fortune to build. And one of the men, the men who did this, he was in South Africa and other places. His name was Cecil Rhodes. Cecil Rhodes was like a white supremacist. He believed that Great Britain was a master race. He believed in Adolf Hitler and the master race. Cecil Rhodes was a very evil man, and he militarized and organized a secret power structure in Africa, the exploitation of prostitution, of, of diamond mines, of selling weapons, and everything else. And so Cecil Rhodes began to funnel trillions and trillions of dollars into Great Britain in order to finance Great Britain's military armies and to finance Great Britain's military goal to conquer the entire world. That's what they were about. So this massive, massive infusion of money began to propel Great Britain to be the British Empire, and it began to finance the secret occult societies of Great Britain, many which were racist. They began to finance the, uh, the new British monarchy. They began to finance all these earlier concepts of the master race. And so the, the trillions of dollars flowing in from Cecil Rhodes came from uh, the diamond mine fashion. Uh, you know, the diamond mine facilities and that entire operation. Now, Great Britain, one of the things about Great Britain you have to understand spiritually and historically, there's two cities of London in Great Britain. One city is the secret, secret economic occultic city of Great Britain, and that's one city of Great Britain. The other city of Great Britain is the basically the plain economic monetary, geopolitical uh, city in Great Britain. So once again, Great Britain has two cities, the, the occultic Illuminati, Freemason, Rothschild, Illuminati part of Great Britain, and then on the other side, the part of Great Britain, which is economic, which is geopolitical, which is about political and economic power. And so you can take it right up today, and the king and queen of England are involved in this. Many of the politics that go on openly in Great Britain that Americans are blind to are actually very revealing indicators of the enormous global power that Great Britain possesses. Now, we're going to stop in a minute because we're running out of time.
you have to understand that behind Great Britain, so for example, the, uh, there's two cities in the city of London. One is an occultic city. When you go into the occultic city of, of Great Britain and you see the, the magnificent castle of Rothschild and all the banks, what you will notice on, on the banks of Rothschild and the empire of Rothschild, you will see these very ornate dragon-like sculptures. You will see these very ornate dragon-like uh, beings placed on the high places of the castles of the, the secret occultic London. Now, you've got to take a snapshot of that in your mind. That is telling you something. Symbols are real. Symbols are important. What that is telling you, loud and clear, is that secretly, on a, a secret, dark, secret, and occult level, the second city in the city of London, the occultic great city of London, is a world center of satanic power, Luciferian power, occultic power, sexual power, mystery Babylon power, and an entire slew of incredibly powerful supernatural powers. And so the secret occultic part of Great Britain, which includes the royal family, which includes Rothschild, which includes so many people, they incorporate and they use all these assets to secretly dominate and control planet Earth. Now, in, in, and of course, the people of Mystery Babylon, the Rothschilds, etc., they view themselves, to this very day, they view themselves as um, the Illuminati bloodline families. And that's why those statues of serpents and dragons and stuff are all over their walls, because their belief system teaches them that their ancient, ancient ancestors were in the, in the business of sexually mating with uh, what are known as all the Illuminati bloodline families, or what is known as all the, uh, uh, not only Illuminati bloodline families, but they're known for their genetic similarity and genetic connection between Great Britain, the Luciferians, and other pagan nations of the earth. So when you talk to British scholars and British alchemists and British Satanists, you will constantly hear tales of the secret occult societies that dominate Britain the magical powers or alchemical magic which dominates Britain. And you've got to grasp that. You've got to get a hold of that. So so we're going to finish in just a second, but you've got to get enough. We're moving at about 1,000 miles an hour in one of these trains. I don't know what how fast the Japanese bullet trains travel. I don't think it's 1,000 miles an hour. But, but from what I've heard and seen, the Japanese bullet train uh, trains that travel at high speed on the train tracks are probably traveling, you know, somewhere between 300, 400 plus miles per hour. That's the velocity of the Japanese trains. So knowledge is power, and knowledge is power, and it's traveling in our lifetime at the equivalent of a thousand miles per hour in in travel time. And so this is how it all plays out. When you look at the world system, which is temporarily ruled by Lucifer, 
you understand that at the top of the pyramid, Lucifer has his numerous kingdoms that rule and reign planet Earth in proxy of his power. So you have the kings and queens of England ruling in proxy with their power, the Japanese ruling in proxy with their power, and, and so on and so forth. Now, this all brings us to the present moment where the, the supernatural powers that have been released to subjugate mankind, to rule and reign planet Earth, all originally flow out of the Garden of Eden. And the supernatural powers, the supernatural wisdom, that, I, that all flew inevitably out of the Garden of Eden, uh, compose what are called the Illuminati bloodline families. And they contain supernatural power that gives them the ability to rule and reign over planet Earth. So we take that, and now we move even further into the future. And we had we had a number of empires in in the past. We had the um, Byzantine Empire. We had um, the uh, empire run by the Muslims. Then we had the empire that was uh, run by uh, uh, you know Muslim type religious groups, etc. And all of these groups, ironically. They, they did a lot of scientific breakthroughs, but also what America did, and America did right, despite all of its egregious faults, America launched and ignited the world's first biblical, spiritual system of rulership on planet Earth. The last time you saw that level of rulership on planet Earth was with the existence of... Um, you know the existence of the the kings of uh, Solomon, the kingdom of Solomon, the kingdom of King David, the magnificent technology and science of Solomon. Um, the and then on the occult side, we we saw the the assembly of supernatural powers gathered together by supernatural forces which raided or transposed the, uh, the anathemas, the, the, the technology, the Illuminati bloodline technology of flying saucers, of rockets, of early computers, of early complaints, of modern medicine, all kinds of advanced weaponry, advanced medicine, and advanced other things were all built at the original Tower of Babel, or Babel, or Babylon. They were all built there. And then, not too far away, the uh, ancient super-civilizations of ancient Egypt were all built at the site where the giant pyramids were built, and they were built uh, in a highly sophisticated manner. And so, both the Egyptian Empire and both the British Empire um, devised technologies and engineering and sciences which placed them way, way, way ahead of the human race. So that brings us up to the present moment where, boom, we are now seeing a massive repeat of all of this stuff happening all over planet Earth. We see, for example, 
the discovery and manipulation of EMF or electromagnetic frequencies. This transforms DNA to vibration. This causes longevity, longevity, the healing of sickness, as well as energy-based healing and energy-based weapons, uh, originally popularized by Nikola Tesla, but then it went, it went mainstream. So we have all of those technologies happening in our world today. And we are preparing for the Battle of Armageddon. Battle of Armageddon, quite simply, is this final war between God and Satan, where all the forces of Satan are going to be arrayed against. Uh, uh, all the forces of Satan are going, to be, are going to be arrayed against the forces of the kingdom of God. And this is the last great battle between mankind and Lucifer and the fallen angels and the fallen angel technology and all the rest of that stuff, which has been, unfortunately, under the temporary control of Lucifer and his angelic armies. So here, here we are. Now, we're in the last days, and I want to make this final statement. All of this information in detail, with documentation, with explanations, is available to you right now at paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. I urge you, I exhort you, I, I ask you with everything in me to step up your game and get up to speed. Knowledge is power. If you don't know that, what that means, you start to dip your toes into knowledge is power, and it will blow your mind regarding the power that will be released to you personally. No matter what your situation is, knowledge is power. Because God's covenant is triumphant in light of any other human circumstance. Now, after we, we assemble and incorporate those things, we need to understand that our ability to be victorious, our ability to defeat our enemies, and who are our enemies? We are in an all-out war between the fallen angels, the, the, uh, the fallen angels, the principalities and powers, the dark unseen forces of wickedness in heavenly places, an entire spectrum of invisible realm beings, we are in active conflict against all of these things. So the only way we can defeat the conflict and be victorious is to obey God radically. And this is how we obey God radically. For the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So the way we win the battle step by step is to confess, believe, and pray. For the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Our job is to pull down the strongholds violently, because strongholds are what are called the, the satanic arguments being levied or waged against us. So we need to make sure, if you're listening, you need to make sure that that weaponry is built the way it was designed to be built. You cannot allow somebody whose expertise is deficient to, just because they're nice people, you are sinning if you allow them to, to go into your inner circle. And if they start building these technologies, these technologies are going to fail. These technologies will flatline. They won't produce the results that we want them to produce. And the only way to do an end run around that is to take the bull by the horns, grab control of the uh, technologies that can be equated to uh, fallen angel technologies. Then, we, we understand that 
Satan is in rebellion from planet Earth. He's attempting to gather together with him all the foreign armies of planet Earth. He wants to instigate a coup d'etat against all of God's people in the last days against God. We are not and we are never supposed to sit there passively and allow Satan to conquer our world for all eternity. If we do that, it is because we have chosen to violate one of God's primary laws, one of God's primary directives. Therefore, we cannot, we must not violate this secret succession of weaponry. We cannot do that. We must stand the ground. So I want to encourage you to stand with us. We right now are in the greatest battle for the hearts and minds of mankind in the history of the world. That means I need you to go to paulmcguire.us, that's paulmcguire.us, join together with me in partnering and financing this ministry ministry while there is still time, while there's still weaponry, and then take this ministry and take this weaponry and literally decimate, disintegrate the, the walls of folly and, and shatter it in the name of Jesus Christ. And then I promise you with every ounce of being within me that we are in the middle of a winnable war and we can take this war by a storm. And that is something that's doable and something that's winnable. God bless you. This is Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. While they're on enormous discount, grab yourself a copy of The Greatest Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Mankind in the History of the World. Grab yourself a copy of uh, A Power from on High. Grab, your, grab yourself a copy of, um, you know, Wandering in the Wilderness and Not Possessing the Promised Land. Grab yourself a copy of A Prophecy of the Future of America. Grab yourself a copy of all the other books, the, the conferences, and then war costs money and spiritual war costs money. I need you to stand with me 100%, and I need you to ask the Lord how much he wants you to give, and then whatever it is that the Lord God Almighty is commanding you to give, whatever it is, no matter how radical it is, then radically obey the Lord and radically give to him uh, that which you think you should give to him. And if we do that, if each one of us will do that uh, in unity, we can affect a supernaturally and powerful change that will change the course of human history. God bless you. This is Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us.